Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're going to be looking into God's Word together today, and we're going to be talking about the topic of change. Now, I think that's appropriate on this day, right? Because New Year's is a time of change. It's a time when you are thinking about change. You're making plans for the coming year, what you want to see happen, what you want to change in your life. You might have written out some New Year's resolutions as you were thinking through the coming year yesterday or in the days prior, or maybe that's something you're going to do today. But change is on our minds. And you know, the change that we want sometimes is not small change. Sometimes it's big change. Anybody have any big change they're wanting to see this year? Um, I can raise my hand to that. There's some big change that I hope to see God work in the coming year. And as I think about the topic of change, and specifically big change, I think about uh, an experience I had over Christmas where I saw proof that big change can actually happen. As a matter of fact, there is a physical location that serves as a monument to massive life-shaping, revolutionary change. Now, it's not in our city. It's actually in Tulsa, in South Tulsa. In South Tulsa, at the intersection of Riverside and 71st Street, there is a monument to massive revolutionary change. And you might have driven past it over the Christmas break, and you might have missed it, but when we went by as our family, my father-in-law made sure that we did not miss this massive revolutionary monument to change. And what happened is at the corner of 71st and Riverside, there is a building that once held a Furs cafeteria. But now that same building is the home to a Planet Fitness. (laughs) Friends, that is a monument and proof to massive, revolutionary, life-changing kinds of change. I mean, at one point, it was an all-you-can-eat buffet known for its cream pies and chicken fried steak. And yet now it's a place where people go to exercise. Um, just just a, a, an interesting little thing. It's a monument to change. But as you think about this coming year for you, um, is there some big change that you want to see happen in your life? And do you need more hope than just the movement from a furs to a planet fitness to give you some confidence heading into the new year? What is the change that you're wanting to see happen in your life, and how can we learn from the Scriptures about the kinds of changes that God can bring in our lives? That's going to be the subject of our time today as we look at a variety of Scripture passages to see three different things about change in the new year. The first thing we're going to see is this. It's a new year. We probably have a new plan. It's a new year we probably have a new plan. Again, when you think about the new year, almost everyone in this room, regardless of your age, there is something that you are hoping to change in the new year. As you head into the new year, you're developing a new plan. You have a new goal. You have a new hope 
for something to take place in the next year. And the, universe, the universal nature of that desire ought to reveal to us something about the world in which we live. The fact that when I talk about change, you all have something that your mind goes to is a reminder that change is universal. And that is not a surprise to God. It's actually part of the way that God has created and sustained this world is this is a world where change is needed, where change is desired, and where we experience this gap between our desires and our reality. That's a part of the way the world is created. And we have a couple of different examples uh, for why that's the case that are found in Scripture. One of those examples is found in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I realize it's 2017, but you didn't think I was going to leave the book of Romans behind, did you? I had to bring it back. If you've been around Wildwood, you know we've been walking through Romans for, feels like forever, but we're going to be back in Romans 8 for just a moment here. As we look at Romans 8, verses 18 to 25, we get one of the reasons why the desire for change is so universal. The Apostle Paul writes and says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope you were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Friends, as we think about the reason for our universal desire for change, one of the reasons is that we live in a world that is cursed. We live in a world that is subjected to futility. We, we live in a world where there is a God-designed gap between our current experience and our desire for God's holiness and His perfection. We live in a fallen world is another way to say that. And so because we live in this fallen world, there are illnesses that come upon those we love and, and they die. Because we live in this fallen world, there is struggle that we have with sin. Because we live in this fallen world, we have weaknesses in our discipline so that we're not able to do what we want to do. Because we live in this fallen world, there are, are people around us who don't believe in God and, and, and we want them to believe in God. And we look even at our own lives and we don't believe in God as deeply and as intimately as we want to. There is a gap in this world between our desire and our experience. One of the reasons why we have this universal desire for change is because we live in a world that is living under this curse in this time where there's a gap between our desire and our reality. A second reason why we have this universal desire for change, though, is found not so much out there as, as it's found in here. As we live out our lives in this world, we struggle because... We want to find happiness all around us. We look for happiness in all different kinds of places. This is not something new that has been invented after the internet. This is something that has been around from the very beginning. 
Humanity, since the fall, has this inner desire to be happy, and we seek to find happiness in so many other things. This propensity to find happiness in anything other than God is is an evidence of what the Bible calls our flesh, a fallen part of us that seeks independence and meaning apart from God. King Solomon in the Old Testament wrote an entire book about this pursuit. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and 2, he gives us a variety of ideas about the futility of us finding happiness or meaning in things apart from God. Verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, it is a vanity, a striving after the wind. Verse 17, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind. In other words, Solomon was thinking, if I could just learn enough, then I would be happy. Have you ever known anybody who's felt that way? The key to happiness is knowledge, it's education. If I just find enough, but what, what happens? Can you ever know enough to satisfy that longing? Can you ever know enough to, to truly be happy? Solomon said, no. I think our experience echoes that. Chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes in verse 1, Solomon continues and said, I I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. In other words, Solomon tried to find happiness and meaning in his life just by being happy, by going on a, a number of vacations, by owning a lot of stuff, by doing things that were fun. Have you ever tried to fill that happiness void in your own life with with just those kinds of pursuits? Solomon says it's it's vanity. Why is that? Because it's fleeting. It's like trying to capture a mist that just is here and then it's gone. There's no lasting peace in just pursuing pleasure. Certainly this world has a lot to enjoy, but it's ultimately not satisfying. Verses 9 to 11, he continues and says, So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon looked to accomplishment. If only he could build the biggest kingdom, have the nicest palace, own the most horses, then maybe he would find some happiness. Have you ever known anyone who's tried to define their happiness in that way? You know, over, over Christmas, the game of life was played a few times around my house. You know how you win the game of life? You have the most money at the end. It's a subtle message that Hasbro is Parker Brothers are teaching our families. But is it Right? Is it possible to get enough stuff to win the game? No, because what is enough? It's never enough. Even Solomon, who had more wealth than anyone in his region at the time, it wasn't enough for him. See, the reason why our desire for change is so universal is because we live in a world that is subjected to futility, but, but also because on the inside of us, there is a part of us that is seeking to find meaning apart from God, and, and we keep, is, is it this, is it that, is it that? And as we try to find meaning in all these different areas, it ends up coming short, coming short, coming short, coming short. So every year we have a new list. 
Every year we have more things, more desire, more, more change that we want to see happen because there's a gap between our reality and our experience. What is it for you this year? Where's that gap most felt? You know, is it, is it felt in something cosmetic? You know, you want to lose some pounds, you want to add some muscle, you want to add some endurance in a, in a sport? Is it found in, in, in something cosmetic that way, or is it found in something a little deeper? And I believe if we think long enough and hard enough, again, regardless of our age, each of us here today can have some place in our lives where we want to see growth in a spiritual area. We have something on our list where there's a gap, not just in the cosmetic, not just in the superficial, but in the, the core of our character. There are things we want to see grow. Children, you might want to obey your parents more this year. If it's not on your list, try that one. That's a good one. Mom and dad, maybe you want to be more content this year. Maybe you want to gossip less. Maybe you want some freedom from an addiction. Maybe you want to find your identity in Christ. Maybe you want to develop more in your prayer life. What, what are the things? Where's the gap for you? Where do you feel that pain? It's a new year. You have a new plan for that new year. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Regardless of where that comes from, if it comes from just the gap in the world or if it comes from the hole in our hearts, wherever it comes from, do you know what the intended purpose of that feeling of need for change, do you know what the intended purpose of that feeling is? To drive you to God. That's what God intends. God has created this world with this gap. We're living in this season. There's a flesh inside of it. God's desire for us in the midst of that, in response to that, is to have those things, that gap, drive us to him. The reason for our pain is a reminder to drive us to God. You know, pain is, is a gift that God has given us. You know, when you think about the, the pain of grabbing like a hot pan on the stove, it's, it's a blessing that it hurts when you touch it. Why? Because you don't continue to grab it. God has placed us in a world where there's this gap and we, we try to find meaning in so many things and it ends up being empty. Why? Because God wants us ultimately to find our significance, to find our purpose, to find our orientation to everything in Him. There's a new year. You have a new plan. Now, here's the thing. When you think about the new year and the new plan, the reality is in this new year, you're the same you. And at some level, that is discouraging for you as you think about living into your new plan. And if your list of resolutions is anything like mine, maybe you can relate to this, this video.
Now, I don't know why we're clapping at that, right? Are you encouraged by that? The challenge of living in this life. But, you know, we, we've had some experience. There's, there's a gap, right, between our resolutions and what we're able to do. And because we had trouble living into them last year, we're skeptical of our ability to lean into them this year. You know, think about this. How many of you have lost 100 pounds? The same 10 pounds you've lost 10 times. You keep finding it again. Or the thing that you thought that you had received victory over in your Christian life is rearing its head once again, and you're struggling. So why is it that we struggle? Well, at, at some level, the statement is true. It is a new year. But there are, are parts of you that you have brought into this year that are the same, that deal with the same struggle. You know, again, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans in chapter 7, verses 15 and 17. He, he talks about the struggle that we have doing our new plan. He says, I I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. The Apostle Paul makes an admission, he makes a a statement that we, we struggle because this flesh that is inside of us has this propensity to sin, and as we try to live out a, a new plan, and we try to tap into the same old us, we can fall into the same old patterns. And again, I want to get past the cosmetic things. We all have those kinds of things we want to see changed in our lives. But even in the deeper spiritual areas of our life where we want to see God work, we want to see some action for, for growth, we want to progress in our spiritual life in the coming year, we, we struggle because If we tap into just our own willpower, if we tap into just our own strength and power, we will fall short because there is something at work in us that is short-circuiting the process of spiritual growth. That's something Paul calls the flesh. And all of us have it. So as we we gather here today, we try to live out our new plan, and we try to do it as the same old us, we will get the same old result. But is there any hope? Is there any hope for anything more than that? Friends, absolutely there is. As we gather here today as followers of Jesus Christ, we have hope for change that is greater because we know Christ. See, in Jesus, we're used to talking about the forgiveness that he offers, and that is real. But in Jesus, also, we need to remember that he offers us more than just forgiveness. He offers us empowerment for the life that he has called us to. Jesus knows that we try to live out our new plan, our new life, in the old address of the flesh. And he doesn't leave us just wallowing in that despair. But he offers us something more for us to be able to tap into to see real spiritual growth take place. You want to know what that is? Let's look at it. In this new year, we have the opportunity to be a new you and a great God who makes that happen. New year, new you, and the great God who makes that happen. Think of some of the things that God has given us that make it possible for us to have real life change. I'm going to run through a number of them. The the first one I want to look at, things that God has given us, is Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. 
In Philippians 1, 6, we, we see a reminder of the fact that God is giving us this great, great change. God is actually committed to our change, and not just the change that we want, but the change that we need. He's committed to our spiritual growth. Paul writes and says in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. One of the things we can count on as we have this hope for change in the new year is that God is committed to our spiritual growth. And he's so committed, he will see us through to the very end. We have a God who is committed to our growth. Well, if he's committed to our growth, if he will see us through to the very end, what else has he given us to make that possible? Well, he's given us a new you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 tells us as much. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, this is a profound statement because what it is saying is that if we have come to know Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, then what has happened is our core identity has shifted. Our core identity has changed. No longer are we that person who is defined by our sin, but before God, we are a new creation, someone who is defined by our connection to Christ and his righteousness. We have a new identity before him, and with that identity comes a new capacity, comes a new heart. We see this in Ezekiel chapter 36, where the Old Testament prophet is talking about the coming day and the transformation that comes inside of a new covenant that Jesus will establish. And verse 25 and following says this, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules." We think about this new creation that we have become. We've been given a new heart, and with that new heart comes a new softness to the things of God. At the core of who we are in Christ, there is a new desire that we have, and that desire is to follow God and live in obedience to Him. Sure, we have this old address of the flesh that is desiring sin, but that's not who we really are. At the core of who we really are, is a heart of flesh that has been placed there by God, empowered by the Spirit with a new set of desires to follow Him. As we head into the new year, we need to tap into that new you that God has placed inside of us, a new desire, a new capacity. And not only has He just given us a new heart, but He's also, as it said in the passage there in Ezekiel 36, He's given us His Spirit inside of us. Uh, We see this in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, in verse 13. He says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. From the moment that we believe, the Spirit has come to reside within our lives, so that no longer do we just have a, a desire for God, but now we have the presence of God inside of us. And when the presence of God is inside of us and we are dependent upon that, we can actually have a hope for victory in our Christian life. 
Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 when he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, we, we have this new hope in 2017 tied not to our old identity, not to the same old us, but tied to our new identity in Christ. We, we have an opportunity to see real change and real growth in our Christian lives because of what God has given to us. Now, I want to say one thing before we move, move on, and that is when you see all of these things up here, I, I want you to know that all of those things are, have, are things that already have been given to you if you know Christ as your Savior. If you are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then friends, these things are gifts that God has already given. They are already resident inside of you. You do not need to wait for these things to come. These things are already there. But know this, if you're here today and you you see these things up there and you go, man, those are things that I want. I, I, I want to have a real confidence in change. I I want to to be a new me, not tied to my sin and its judgment. I I want to have a new heart. It's been so long since I've felt that deeply. I I want to have the Holy Spirit. I want to have God's presence inside of me. I want to have the ability for victory in the new year. If, If that is you and you're like, I want those things, know this. They can be yours this morning by trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. See, friends, we who possess these gifts don't possess them because we have lived out a life of faithfulness for years and years and years and impressed God to the point that he's given them to us incrementally over time. They were given to us, and can I get an amen to that? Those of us who know Christ, they were given to us by his grace at the moment that we first believed. And friends, if you're here today and these realities are things that you desire in your life, know that you do not need to head into 2017 with the same old you. You can be a new you by the grace of God, by trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's the thing. How do we put these into practice? How does that reality, that theology that we just walked through in verses throughout the Old and New Testament, how, how do we appropriate that? How do we walk forward in it? Well, it's really interesting. Um, Paul talks about this in the book of Colossians in chapter 2 in verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, the way that these truths are appropriated in our lives, the way that they come alive, the way they are activated, the way that we experience them is in the same way in which we came into a relationship with Christ. Now, how do we come into a relationship with Christ? Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 tell us, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We, we come into a relationship with God by grace, in other words, by what God has given to us through no merit of our own, what God has given to us, we receive those things and we receive them by faith, by believing them, by embracing them, by trusting in them, by depending upon them. 
That's the way that we began our relationship with Christ. That's the way you begin a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? You come to realize that our only hope is God's gift and what he is giving to us in Christ. And you, you trust in his death on the cross as the payment for your sins. You, you believe that. You depend upon it. That's how we begin our relationship with Christ. Colossians 2.6 tells us that that same way that we began our relationship with Christ is the same way that those realities that we saw earlier, the same way that they are activated or experienced in our life is by us receiving them as a gift and believing that they are true. And honestly, that, even, that explanation even sounds a little mystical to us, doesn't it? I mean... Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but what does that really look like? So maybe there's a, an illustration that will help us with this. It's an illustration that I've, I've used before, but it's helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for you. And it has to do with a rock wall. Now, this is a picture of, of uh, Kimberly and I's son, Josh, climbing a rock wall at camp. Now, if I've lost anybody under the age of 10, can I get your attention back for a moment? You want to climb a wall like that? It'd be pretty fun, right? Climb a wall like that. Now, the way that you climb a wall like that is by using the handholds on that wall and the footholds. If you notice on that wall, there are all these, these little rocks that are, that are bolted onto that wood, and you use them as things to grab or things to step on as you move from the bottom of the wall to the top. That's the way you get there. You don't get to the top just by standing there and hoping you get there. You get to the top by actually grabbing onto different things, depending upon them to hold your weight, and then stepping one at a time up the wall. Now, in a very similar way, our spiritual life is like this. When we think about the areas of our life where we want to see growth, uh, we see them as ways that God has given us grace, and we embrace faith in that. So we think about God's truths in any area of life are like the rocks on that wall. They are anchors there to support our weight. Things that we can believe and grab on and use as a support. And when we grab them or we put our weight upon them and step up, we are placing our faith in those things. So let me give you a a couple of examples that maybe will help that. Let's say that that you have a, a desire in the coming year to pray more. I know that nobody in the room probably has that desire, um, but, but if, if you have a desire for the coming year, for your life to be marked more by prayer, then, then that might be something. That, that's something for me in 2017, an area where I want to grow. Um, so you think about that. So what are the, the grace that God has given to us that I can grab onto and believe? Well, one of those handholds that I can grab onto is to say, you know what? I'm a new creation that is created in the image of God to relate to God. And so I'm going to grab onto that and say that the best conversation that I ever am going to have is with God. I'm going to grab onto that. And then I'm going to grab onto another handhold that says, you know what, even if I can't articulate everything, God understands exactly what's going on. Romans chapter 8 talks about the Spirit interceding for us with groans too deep for words, that the Spirit is our translator in our prayer life, so that even if I can't articulate it, I can at least be silent before God and know that He is communicating and and that He understands exactly what's going on inside of me. Those are handholds that I grab onto. I believe them, and I I stop, and I 
take a moment, a quiet moment before him, and I use those things to grab onto. And then I, I think, well, well, what do I pray about? And I think about the Lord's prayer and the, prayer that he, the pattern of prayer that he taught us to pray, and I, I might pray through that and think through my life and my experience as I go through there. I'm grabbing onto these handholds as I walk through that time. By faith, we receive God's grace, and we have a hope for growth. What, what might it be? It might be an area of temptation for you. You stare at that wall of 2017 and you failed in the past years and you think, I don't know how I can experience any hope for 2017 here. Know this, if you know Christ, that begins there. If you know Christ, what are the handholds on that wall that he is asking you to believe? Well, again, you're a new person with a new set of desires. There is something that you think you want, but there is something that at the core of you that you really want in Christ and you're going to grab onto that and that's obedience. And then beyond that, what does God say about those things? Are you going to trust your assessment of the situation that wants to give in to temptation, or are you going to trust what God says about that temptation, that it's not good for you, that it's hurtful, that it will lead to destruction in your life or in your, your friend's life? Are you going to, what, what is it going to be? Are you going to grab onto God's truth in that situation, and by faith, you begin to take action steps consistent with that, and we progress. Friends, as we head into 2017, we don't have to head into 2017 as the same old us. It's a new year, but by the grace of God, it's a new you and a great God who makes it possible for us to see real life change. What is it going to look like for you to trust Christ and climb the wall by grace through faith in the coming year? Friends, as we get ready to sing a closing song, I want to just conclude with one more story. You know, as we've been together today, we've, we've shared a number of stories of the faithfulness of God. We, we've, we've looked at it from an elementary boy. We've seen it from a woman here at Wildwood. We've seen it from a college guy. I want to read one more story for us of God's faithfulness uh, here from a, an elementary-aged girl. She said, I'm 10 years old, and last spring I woke up one morning and felt sick. I was having really bad stomach cramps that would not go away. So I thought that I had a stomach virus, but the pain was so bad that my dad checked on me, and then he called the hospital. We had to go to the emergency room, and I was really scared. Mom and dad prayed that God would help us and the nurses know what was wrong with me. I had to do an ultrasound, and the doctor said it was my appendix and that I would have to stay all night at the hospital and have surgery. I was crying, and I was so scared. We prayed again for God to protect me and help me to not be afraid. The next morning, the nurses came to get me, and I was crying, and I was so afraid, but we prayed again for peace and help from God. We had gotten so many messages of people praying for me. My mom got to stay with me until I fell asleep before surgery, and I was crying, and she prayed over me. And when I woke up, my... Family and friends were there, and I was so happy that it was, it was done, and I wasn't hurting anymore. Then I got letters from my softball team and my third grade Sunday school class that they'd been praying for me too. I thank God for protecting me and helping me through the scary times and for all those who prayed for me. Friends, I, I read these stories today because though there are many things that will change in 2017, one thing that won't is the character of God. And the God who was at work in 2016 is the God who is with us in 2017. 
and we can trust in him and lean into him and his provision for our lives. Let's let's pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for just the opportunity to be together today with friends, to look into your word and to see hope for change in the new year. Father, I pray that you would um, guide us, Father, as we leave this place, that we would be people who would receive the grace that you have given us of a new identity and of a new hope. And we would walk forward in that hope and the power of your spirit. Father, I pray for any here today who have never placed their faith and trust in Christ, that today would be the day they would begin that relationship because of the many gifts that you have promised to give. We, we looked at just a handful of them today. But Father, I pray for your provision for them and you would give them the faith to trust you even now. And Father, I pray for each of us that we would have the faith to follow you and see the change that you desire to work in our lives this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.